everybody. Welcome back to another episode of God Built This Podcast. I'm your host, Maxine, and we're on episode 233. Welcome back, Jack. Um, Let's talk about this documentary that I'm currently watching called Unwell on Netflix. And I am unwell after watching this. I'm not even done yet. And I just had to pick up the mic to finally start recording for this episode and this motivated me to do so. Now, this documentary covers so many alternative holistic practices that many of us do to defeat any ailment that we have and to not subscribe to the Western medicines that we have available to us here in America and that has been propagandized to us to believe that that's the only way for healthy life. And though the mystique and the aesthetic around holistic practices is alluring, it can be dangerous if not properly used. And what I have come across in this doc is the danger in some of these practices because you have people who can be predatory and will use anything that is naturally pure to take advantage. So the first episode covers oils and how with essential oils, you know, essential oils can be um, detracted, is that the word? Or just, you know, taken out from plants, from fruits, from vegetables, and put a topically, no, put topically or internally into your body. Now, I am a big proponent, I mean, not a big proponent, but like, I am a proponent of essential oils. I do find them to be um, beneficial, but I do recognize that sometimes if you're not using it properly, it can set an allergic reaction. So in the first episode of this series, now this series covers different practices of alternative treatments to any skin, physical, um, emotional, even stuff that's on the spectrum. Because there was a section in this episode that covers autism. And that's obviously controversial. And oh my gosh, you know, go to a doctor. But like, I do think there's a, there's a space where this can work. And I do think depending on who you are and your makeup as a human, it may not work for you. And what I appreciate about this episode is, in all the episodes that I've watched so far, I'm on episode, well, it doesn't say what number, but I think it's episode three. And it tells you about like, well, look, it worked for some people and it doesn't work for some others, you know? So there's this woman in the first episode who says that she was this big proponent of, not just a big proponent, but she sold essential oils. She was a part of this MLM business, multi-level 
leveling, multi-level marketing, aka pyramid scheme. And she realized that this is not working, at least not for her body. She got a lot of rashes and just physical reactions that were negative on her body because of tea tree oil, because of chamomile oil and all these things. And being that she was already a part of this business, working for this company, she felt like she had to be loyal to them. And then she finally reached out to her social media page on Facebook and was like, um, hey, just wondering, has anyone else been getting rashes? <laughs> and she's showing these pictures of her rashes. And many of the comments are, oh, that's just your body detoxifying itself. And these oils don't do that. Don't worry about it. It's, that means your body is just purging. That's not a way to purge, right? I, I don't think that's a way to purge. I think there is, um, like, okay, when you throw up, that's purging. That's your body purging. That's your body saying, we did not like this spaghetti. You didn't cook it right. We're rejecting it, you know? But with oils, when you get a rash from an oil, that's not your body detoxifying. That's your body telling you, don't put this in me again. So same thing for a meal that may not have sit well with your stomach. Your body is saying, don't put this in me again or find a better way to cook it because maybe you didn't cook it properly but that is ultimately your body's rejection yet these comments were saying no that's you know keep on using it it's just you know how some people say it gets if it, it, it starts off bad and then it gets good something like that and then of course she is following suit and she listens to what they say because she was this faithful, loyal employee. And so her rashes got worse. Like it was, it started off just like a mosquito looking type of rash or bite. And then it developed into bigger scabs and wounds that, that, that pus, um, that had white pus in it. It got all over her body, and then it finally got to her face, and she documented it all, had pictures to prove it. And it was so bad that she developed a, an allergic reaction to it. So tea tree oil is not for her. <laughs> tea tree oil is not for her. And she's trying to get some justice for it because she's like, okay, she's trying to reach out to the CEO of the company that she's been working for and he's not responding and he's busy, he's out of town, all these excuses. And, you know, I think with these things though, there has to be room for error because what may work for one will sometimes not work for you. And you have to develop some level of discernment, you know, because like after the first two weeks of you realizing this rash 
and the only thing that's been consistent in your in your um, hygiene is this oil intake. And if you could take note of that and you realize, hey, maybe if I reduce this or if I take this out of my routine altogether, I wonder how my body will react. And if I see my body is no longer producing rashes, then maybe I should stop this intake altogether. So I don't want to say it's her fault, right? I don't want to say it's her fault. I just think that people are coming into these oils um, uneducated, you know, completely ignorant to the side effects that can come with it. And again, every body, every single body is different. So what may, like I said, what may be good for you may not be good for the gander, right? <laughs> What's well, good for the goose is not good for the gander, right? Um, but that's seriously it. It may be something like that. And had she been well-informed before, you know, as an employee there, and that's the thing, I think as she was working in that company or with the company, nothing was communicated about the side effects of oils. And I think that's, that's, that's a defense that she could use maybe. Because if nothing was communicated as possible side effects may include, you know, like they do on these regular birth control commercials on TV. But we don't have these side effects labels on the essential oils on some at least so hopefully she could win that case because i think that's a good i think that's a good defense but nonetheless we have to be careful you know not everything natural may react well with us and it's unfortunate but because we live in such a processed society because we are so ingrained in just the fluoride, the chemical warfare that is literally in our, so our bodies are naturally compromised. So what would have been a positive outcome is not because of the society that, because of the environment that we're in. Now, if we were back in the ADBC era, preferably BC era, right? Like before anything came into wax, before technology became so advanced, before you were able to hear my voice on this recording, right? <laughs> there, there would be less of a chance of a negative side effect because things weren't processed then. But because things are so advanced now, we're so compromised into it that not everyone will have a positive reaction. So I'm sorry to that girl, but I get it though, because for me, for my body, I, I noticed that chamomile and lavender, I don't react well to it, which sucks because at some point I did. Like at some point I used to rub, was it lavender oil on my back? Because I, I, was at, I was at the point where I'm like, I'm done taking pills, yada, yada, yada. I want to keep on being a slave to these pills whenever my period hits. And I'm like, okay, let me try the lavender oil. Um, and I think it worked, but somehow, some way or another, I just developed a negative reaction to it. And I just can't do it. 
I, I noticed I got a reaction to it once I used this lavender, no, once I used a Dove soap that had lavender grains in it. I guess Dove was doing a new thing and they decided to add some lavender dots into it. So I'm like, okay, cool, I like lavender. At least I liked it at the time. So I tried it and I noticed like shortly after I had these like dry spots all over the upper part of my body, like on my arms, on my stomach. And that was a trying time for me. It was just, that was like the height of the pandemic. And I was just like, why is my body looking like this? What's going on? And then I finally put two and two together. It's this new soap that I've been using. And it's not that Dove is new to me. It's that the fact that this Dove soap had lavender grains in it. So once I finally took that out of the mix, my body started to heal itself. And I did saw, see a doctor because I was freaked out. I saw the doctor virtually and he prescribed me this cream and everything got right because I developed something called dermatitis, um, ectopic dermatitis, something like that. And basically it's just a negative, it's, just, it's an allergic reaction, that's what it is. But the dermatitis is the official name for it. And I got that due to chamomile, or no, sorry, due to lavender. And because chamomile, I feel like chamomile is like the cousin of lavender, I don't fuck with chamomile either. Like at this point, I don't do it. Now, do I drink chamomile tea? I've drunk chamomile tea many times and I haven't had a negative reaction to it. But when I've had chamomile, like essential oils, like mist into the air, I notice I'll get irritated physically. Um, and it'll look like me sneezing, sniffling, just feeling just sinus issues, just a whole mess. So I think chamomile is a cousin to lavender and I just try to stay away with, try to stay away from it as much as I can. But nonetheless, again, you have these natural things and it's like the question is why are we even being like, what is an allergy, right? Like what is, what is an allergy? Cause I, I could have sworn back in the olden days <laughs> were, were there allergies back then you know the people who lived in the 300 era did they have allergies did they say oh i can't take lavender it's too strong and here like i don't know i really don't know but i i i'm leaning towards a no i'm leaning towards they probably did not and it's just fuck, it just sucks that we live in this chemical warfare of a society that regardless of how much we try our best to avoid the toxins and just the dangers that's in our everyday, it's in our everyday, right? Like I can't keep on bringing my own water filtered bottle and you know, I finished the water, what am I supposed to do? Not drink for the rest of the day until I get home? Well, I need some water. So I get some water from the water fountain situation that's in the lounge and who knows if that's clear from fluoride. It's probably not, I don't know, but nonetheless, I need to get some, you know, so the point is we could do our best in avoiding the toxins that's in our everyday but we have to accept the fact that we are compromised. Now, the next episode that I watched, <laughs> it talked about tantric sex. 
and how basically your body is your source of healing. Your body traps trauma until you release it. Um, and this is an interesting topic because, like, what does that even look like? What does it look like to release trauma physically? What does that look like? Screaming? Does that look like you, you know, flailing your arms around? Like, what does that look like? I don't know, really. Um, and I also don't know if it's legitimate all the time because, again, you have people who are predatory who use these opportunities to attack the vulnerable and many of us been through trauma and have an area in our lives that may need healing. And so this is perfect for someone who is predatory and who's going to take advantage of folks like, like that. So on one hand, I do think there is some, some um, advantage, some gem in finding goodness in our bodies, but I also feel like, what the fuck am I paying money to go speak to this white woman wearing locks telling me about my body, you know? Yet there are success stories from that. So in this story, in this episode, you, this is white woman who is like super chill and like, Hey, you feel me? Like she, <laughs> she talks very cash and she's just so laxed in her body. Um, and this one, this white woman in particular, she doesn't have locks. There's another one featured in this episode that has locks, but nonetheless, she's a white woman who is just very much like this sex guru or this tantric sex guru. And her, her goal is to heal those who may not feel comfortable in their body, who want to reach a level of ecstasy and okay, sure. That's fun. Cool, cool, cool beans. But I was as I was watching her lead her class, you see white women in attendance, and maybe the, maybe there was maybe there was an Asian or two, but nonetheless they were all women, biological women, the fuck. Um, but they were all women, and I I questioned, huh. I wonder why there aren't any black women here. You know, I wonder why there aren't any people of color. I hate saying that fucking phrase. People, what the fuck is a people of color? But I wonder why. And it had me thinking that we just don't have time for that shit. And I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. Like, is that a good thing that black women don't have time to do that goofy shit? Or is that a bad thing that black women don't have time to do that quote-unquote goofy shit? See how I now phrase it as quote-unquote? Because it shouldn't, like, essentially it shouldn't be goofy to want to feel good in your body. It shouldn't feel goofy to love your body as is. But I think the way that they go about it comes across goofy, right? Like, um, there's a scene in this episode in which this white woman, she is hovering her hand over the 
like her attendees she's um she's hovering she's literally she's not touching them y'all she's not touching them she's hovering her hand over them and they're heaving and hollering and they're orgasming and they're just going in and you would think that she's fingering them like you would think that she's fucking them but she's not she's just hovering her hand over them and I'm thinking to myself like is this all just make-believe like is this a placebo effect are we just living in a time where we are believing it to be true and so it is but it's not you know, like, what is this level of delusion? But yet, who am I to invade your level of delusion? If you find peace in that delusion, so be it. But yeah, I was just thinking, like, you know, black women are totally non-existent in this scene, at least. And I have, throughout my time on social media, come across profiles and just things on my newsfeed where there are black women leading like retreat spaces like this but it wouldn't center on tantric sex the 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 posts that I've seen black women are more of a demographic of is when they're leading healing sessions how to heal your trauma those type of sessions or like how to be a a mother and a woman at the same time. You know, those like those catchy phrases. And there's a lot of black women in attendance for that. But as far as black women being in touch with their sexual energy, I don't see that enough. I really don't. Maybe it's racism, right? Maybe is maybe there are plenty of black women doing that, but we don't see that enough like marketing-wise and that's just, you know, racism. But I just, you know, I think about like why is it that Black women is not seen in that realm. Like, why is it, again, seen as this white invention to have these spaces of reconnecting with your body when ultimately, and not to make this a race thing, but obviously I'm, I'm going there, ultimately black women started it, right? Like, our dances, our rhythm, our physique exude sex it really does and I hate to even say that because it then continues the negative portrayal of us just being objectified and seen as these sexual beings only when that's not only our identity that is a big part of our identity but because of the society that we've been coerced to exist in we are we are only taken advantage of if we embrace our sexuality. So in return, black women are not as sexual as white women are in those spaces. You know, white it seems like white women have more of a permission. And I'm just watching this episode and I'm just gathering this. But I have seen this frequently on different spaces online, it just seems like more white women have of a have a permission to to be sexual, to be open, to be goofy in these spaces and do these dances and like hip movements, right? While black women is like, I gotta work, <laughs> I gotta go to work, <laughs> and it's like, 
no, I want to have like, no, I don't want to like, or no, I want to, I want to touch myself. No, I want, you know, we are laughed at. Like I'm laughing right now. (laughs) And that's just a natural reaction, but that maybe it's not a natural reaction. Maybe it's been a conditioned reaction for me to have because when I watch this white woman gyrating on my screen, she's not laughing out of embarrassment or laughing at all. She's in touch with her femininity. And so I want to see more black women being in touch with their femininity. I don't know. Anyway, so I'm on episode three. And now they're talking about breast milk. Ciao. The way my breasts have been enlarged the past few weeks now, I'm noticing, I don't know if it's just like a every couple of weeks type of thing. You know how sometimes with menstruation or ovulation or whatever that look like, because it's not just like a weak thing. It's like this, you know, your body go through phases, um, cyclical phases. But if, if, it, if it's not milk in here, I don't know what is. Maybe it's Coca-Cola because <laughs> I drink just as much Coke. <laughs> Because anyway, so this woman, she's on this episode and she's featured yeah, she's featured on she's featured on this episode. And she's talking about how she has this syndrome called I forgot what it's called, but basically she produces a mass amount of breast milk. And because she produces a mass amount of breast milk, she has to um, she has to push it out four to five hours a day it takes four to five hours a day for her to release her breast milk and she realized you know what at this point i might as well make a business off of it right (laughs) so that's what she ends up doing so she has two children her two daughters that's her first and foremost um focus when it comes to her breast milk she produces it from her body and put them in the containers, and she has the whole system get up and all these things, and she feeds her family first. And she has so much left over that she's created a business for herself, a business that is successful, y'all, Like because you don't realize that there are so many families out here who lack breast milk for their children, right? You have families who have babies out of in vitro. Maybe the parents are of homosexual males, right? And so obviously male can't men can't produce breast milk and they need to have that for their child or they want to have that for their child. And so they're seeking ways to to give their child that liquid gold. So you have a woman like this who is perfect for that and could make a shit ton of money. She was selling her stuff like via, I think she has her own website, but also like through Etsy or um, different websites that sell breast milk, eBay also. And so she, and I looked at the price point, it was at $450, y'all, for like a pack of her breast milk. Her, a pack of her breast milk. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, we could really make a living off of our bodies. I just thought it was beautiful. Like, dang, that's beautiful. But I want to see a black woman do that, right? Maybe, and maybe there are black women out here who have the syndrome that she has. But again, maybe it's just not um, represented, represented due to racism, going back to that. But it's just, 
it's just so interesting how you have so many of these shows that highlight so many practices that only show a, a one type, you know, a singular demographic for it. And that demographic is typically white. And it's not to say that I'm waking up to racism. Obviously, I'm not. But I just feel like, God, did, like, as much as I try to, like, not pull the race card as much anymore, I, I, I can't help but to in these circumstances. Because you can't tell me that she's the only white woman or woman and happens to be white who has this syndrome and has to make some type of way off of it. And she's making a successful living off of it. So God bless her and her leaky breasts. Okay, let's get into some of these topics that I have because that was just off the top. Um, okay, so Mark Wahlberg, Marky Mark, Marky Mark from, well, he's an actor, an established actor. And he's also a member from the group, the boy band group, New Kids on the Block. So some backstory with him, when he was much younger, when he was like 16 years old, he was um, a rebel. He was a product of an urban environment of Boston, the, the dangerous streets of Boston. And I know people don't like, people who don't know Boston will like instantly judge it to be this, oh, it's racist, right? And it's like, okay, sure, yeah, there's racism everywhere though. But there are plenty of dangerous parts in Boston and like the inner city of anywhere could be dangerous. So regardless of this like prestige outlook that people have of Boston, it's it's not always like that um, all the time and in every area. So back in the day, like in the early 90s, he was he was young and stupid and he was um beating Asian kids <laughs> and I wish I was lying but no back in the day he used to pick on Asian kids and there was one incident one incident in particular excuse me one incident in particular in which he beat up this Asian kid ruthlessly he beat up this kid to the point where the kid had to go to the hospital the kid is alive and well but he attacked him and actually not in the 90s in the in the 80s so previously in 1986 Wahlberg and his friends chased a group of mostly oh well okay so there's so many different things my god I don't know about the black thing but okay well I'm referring to this Asian incident this anti-Asian incident in which he beats up this Asian kid and it got to the, it got so bad that the Asian kid had to go to the hospital and the Asian kid is well and all but nonetheless he was brutalized and basically it was only because of his ethnicity this other incident that I'm noticing that I just came okay so let me read this part right here in 1988 a 16-year-old Wahlberg hit a Vietnamese man in the head with a 5-foot wooden stick while trying to steal alcohol, beating the man unconscious, and sending him to the hospital. That same day, he punched another Vietnamese man in the face while trying to avoid the police. 
He used a series of racist slurs during the incident, according to NBC News. Wahlberg was charged as an adult for attempted murder, but was instead convicted of assault and served about 45 days in jail. He was also charged with criminal contempt of violating a prior civil rights injunction. Previously in 1986, Wahlberg and his friends chased a group of Ooh, excuse me. Chase a group of mostly black fourth graders on a beach in Boston, threw rocks at them, and called them the N word. Wahlberg and his friends received a civil rights injunction as a warning. What the fuck is a civil rights injunction? <laughs> what? Let me see if I could get that definition, because that's hilarious. So what is an injunction? Just a warning. Hey, this is a hate crime. Don't do it again. So an injunction is a legal and equitable. Oh, equitable. Oh, equitable is just not equitable. It's just a fancy way of saying you could just get away with it because you come from a disenfranchised background. So we pity you and we're not going to give you a discipline for this that's what equity means that's what equity fucking means <laughs> fuck equity so an injunction is a legal and equitable remedy in the form of a spiritual what does it say no in a form of a special circumstance um so anyway that's what that means so he got that as a warning, meaning that if they committed another hate crime, hey, you have one more chance to do it again, meaning that if they committed another hate crime, they'd go to jail. Wahlberg's assault on the two Asian men later violated this. <laughs> so recently there was this award show called the Screen Actors Guild, and Wahlberg presented an award on behalf of some category I forgot what category it was but nonetheless it was a category and typically if you're the presenter you are aware of the nominees and you may even know who's going to win and the winner of the category was the cast of the movie everything everywhere all at once which is a very interesting movie I did like it it just it's something that really makes you pause for the cause because it's like what the fuck are we watching like it's very fantastical it talks about alternate universe and all that jazz and so for him to be the one to present this award to this all asian cast it brought up his previous charges on social media and a lot of people reacted poorly to him being the one presenting this award to this all asian cast and now it leaves a question to be asked of when can we move forward? When can we let someone say, hey, I paid the cost for my poor actions and I've learned and I'm better. So let me just read this other part here. In 2014, Wahlberg sought a pardon from, Mass from Massachusetts state officials for his 1988 conviction but dropped the request in 2016. That year, he told The Wrap, which is a magazine, I believe, that he regretted the pardon request. He quotes, it was one of those things where it just kind of presented 
to me where it was just kind of presented to me. And if I could have done it, if, if I could have done, sorry. And if I could have done it over again, I would never have focused on that or applied, Wahlberg said, claiming he spent 28 years writing the wrong I didn't need a piece of paper to acknowledge it, he added. I was kind of pushed into doing it. I certainly didn't need to or want to relive that stuff over again. He also told The Guardian in 2020 that he did the work to distance himself from his past. I took it upon myself to own up to my mistakes and go against the grain and not be a part of the gang anymore. Ooh, okay, so that speaks to it. To say that I was going to go and do my own thing, which made it 10 times more difficult to walk from my home to the train station, to go to school, to go to work, he said. But some Twitter users argue that the Asian community deserve better. Um, one tweet said, out of all people, why do they have Mark Wahlberg? You could have chosen anyone else. Now, here's the thing with that. Look, not to be an apologist for his behavior, right? Not to excuse it by any means. We also have to keep in mind the context. In the 80s, in Boston, in the inner cities of, or the inner communities, and just the urban communities in Boston, Gang culture, just like with any other culture in any other city, not any other culture, just like in, in any other city, gang culture is prevalent, unfortunately. And with gang culture, you are coerced to participate in activities that are not legal, right? You're encouraged or coerced to participate in, in activities that are dangerous, that are racist, that are sexist and, you know, uh, a violation nonetheless. And, you know, the right thing to do is not do it, right? But oftentimes you don't have that opportunity to walk away. And for survival, you have, quote unquote, no choice but to agree to call these black kids the N-word <laughs> and attack them. You have no choice but to attack that, that, that Asian kid over there. And it's like, sure, he could do the upstanding thing by, no, no, gang leader with a Glock to my head. I refuse to be racist. <laughs> Nigga, shut up. Like, you know what I mean? And so I think when we look at things from this present context into situations from the 80s <laughs> that was heavily about survival and figuring out a way to navigate through poverty, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, it's actually insulting to tell me I could have just said no. I could have just walked away. And again, I'm not excusing his behavior, right? I think it's wrong what he did. But it's not like he had another choice. 
I, I like Marky. <laughs> I like Mark Waffle. I really do. I really do. But honestly, things that I've heard about how Boston was growing up, or just in, in that time period, I wasn't born then, but I was born in the 90s, and so 91. Um, but things I've heard, and things that I remember from my childhood, it wasn't the safe, like, I didn't live in the safest neighborhood. You know, eventually, along the years, it gentrified, and not even that gentrified. I think my neighborhood, you know, so so many of my neighbors have been neighbors of mine for years, for, like, 15 years at least. So it's not that it's gentrified with so many white people. It's just that the gang activity that I once saw when I was growing up is no longer. And I can only imagine being a young boy at the time and feeling this pressure to abide by this mentality of toughness, right? You're not a man if you don't beat up these, you know, these others, you know, whoever fits into that other category. Does it make it right? No, it doesn't. But again, it's about survival. So until like, say if his family decided to move him out of that neighborhood to get him away from that pressure and that danger, that would have been great. That would have been a great option. And maybe he wouldn't have done what he done, um, you know, what he did. But that wasn't a situation. Now, not everyone could up and leave, you know, with your big family, you know. So I like to look at it from the context that it was. And it's not this easy, oh, just get up and go. And, you know, he could have been this upstanding guy. And it's like, no, he couldn't have been. He couldn't have been. And, you know, God bless him. I think he's a phenomenal, not phenomenal. I mean, he's a good actor. He's a good actor. And I think he has been righting his wrong. It'd be one thing if he was in his adult ass years, right? Far removed from Boston and that neighborhood. I think, yeah, he's from Dorchester too. And that's where I grew up. So it's like, I know from what I remember from my childhood and from what I've learned from different people, um, that during that time frame, it wasn't the safest. You had to do what you had to do. It was very survival-esque. And people join gangs for safety. And it's unfortunate, but I think when you educate yourself about gang activity and the infiltration of gangs in neighborhoods, it was about what you needed to do to survive. And it was mostly targeted towards boys, towards boys. And sure, there were female gang members, that I've noticed here and there, but nonetheless, it was predominated by boys. So God bless. And I feel like, you know, Mark Wahlberg, he has like, you know, at some point, how much of a sorry can you request from someone, you know? And when people like to, people like to talk so much about like, you know, we have to respect people's traumas and, you know, listen to them. They've been through so much. That is the end result of being through trauma. That is in result of having to do what you had to do to survive in an area that wasn't built with the necessary resources. You know, so if we want to excuse someone's behavior for one thing, we also have to give that same regard in another area. So anyway, I'm just a Mark Wahlberg fan too, so maybe I'm biased. <laughs> 
but Marky Mark, shout out to him. Um, okay, so there is this study that I came across that interests me, and it's about how um, men are single now. <laughs> why am I bringing this up? Because it was just so interesting, because the reasons why many men, like young men, I mean, um, and as I read, maybe we'll come across specifically the age, but young men are single. So six out of 10 young men are single. And there are disturbing reasons as to why that is. So according to this New York Post article, it says here that they're not getting jerked around by dating anymore. New research data has found that nowadays 63, 63% of men under 30 are electively single up from 51% in 2019. That is astonishing to me. And experts believe um, or blame erotic alone time as a major culprit. So it says here, quote, young men are watching a lot of social media. They're watching a lot of porn. And I think they're getting a lot of their needs met without having to go out, end quote. Let's talk about that before we continue because, whew, that's heavy already. And I think it's heavy because it makes me think about the women around their age range who they're coming across and these women may not be worth it to them. <laughs> and I'm saying that to say you have situations in which a lot of these women are told to not be women anymore are told to not embrace their femininity and are being more like the men in these relationships and are not just moving in their natural essence you know in just so many ways anyway so I think when you have men who are just not as motivated to be in relationships with women because the women aren't being women and playing their part and their role, that's going to make men feel like, you know what, I'm good. Like, I'm not going to keep on chasing this bitch who, who never shows me attention because that woman is, is told by her female single friends don't let him know that you like him and, you know, make sure he keeps on chasing you. And it's like... No, it, it's, I think there should be a little chasing in a relationship, but as far as always chasing goes, I think that's unhealthy. I think you should let your, your, your guy know that you're into him, you know? He shouldn't always be guessing. <laughs> I remember growing up, I was, um, I kept hearing around me that, oh, never like him more than he likes you. You know, always, it's just always been like this game that I was told or that I was hearing around me of how women should be when they're dating. And I just thought to myself, like, what? <laughs> Why? I'm tired. Like, I was 14 years old, and I was thinking, like, what the fuck are we doing? You know, like, and I remember the whole game of, like, oh, you know, don't text him first. You know, um, you know, don't double text you know, play it cool. Once I left that 
ideology alone, I just became happier. Honestly, I just became happier. I just accepted myself for being who I am. And once I did that, everything just really shifted for me. I feel like being honest and being transparent has allowed for me to feel more seen in my current relationship, you know? And I think with me feeling comfortable in doing so and feeling safe in doing so, there's this strong communication that is had in my current relationship. So I just really appreciate that. But I, I think that so many women in this age range feel like they can't be as transparent and present and just honest and it just really speaks to the socialization of how women should be in relationships you know just a couple episodes episodes ago I was talking about how Sierra <clears throat> has this new song out talking about she doesn't need a man and you know, to all my ladies out there without, without you know, who, who's independent, who doesn't need a man, who don't need a man, and yada, yada, yada. And she's saying this while living in the house with her husband who has afforded her. And sure, she has her own money too, but don't get, don't get it twisted. They live together. They're a married couple, and they presented themselves as this this success couple, this goals, you know, this relationship goals couple. And now you're telling me that you don't need a man and to all my independent women. And, and sure, she's allowed to create songs about different topics and different points in her, different points that she wants. I get that. But I think sometimes with these songs sang by, sang or rapped by these women, is just so contradictory to exactly how they're currently living in their lives, right? Like, I don't know. It's just so fake to me. So anyway, I just think because of this, many of these men are choosing to be single because they feel like, you know what, what the fuck? <laughs> I don't want to deal with this shit. I could get my rocks off online, get some free porn, <laughs> and get my nut off and be about my day. But unfortunately, I think sometimes this could cause incels. This could cause people, you know, this could, this could, this could cause men to feel resentment towards women or feel like women owe them something. And next thing you know, you have a situation with that guy who ends up killing this woman who he stalked for a while and, ugh, so disturbing anyway so there's that so let me co continue reading he said i think that's starting to be a habit quote the new post-covid numbers would surely back up previous research that the pandemic has made men prefer an evening alone <laughs> instead of meeting a partner just half of single men as a whole responded that they are looking for a committed relationship and or casual dates, a decrease compared to 61% four years ago. Ciao. But these statistics tell a sadder truth about this, about this generation of men. We're in a crisis of connection, disconnection from ourselves and disconnection from each other, and it's getting worse. 
the male numbers come sharply juxtaposed to the 34% of women under 30 who now say they are single, which has only been a slight pandemic rise in that age group. Another factor at play might be the interest of women changing, especially as suitors of the same age are becoming apparently less desirable. Ain't that what I said? They're less desirable. They don't know how to be a woman. Women would rather go to brunch with friends than have a horrible date. (laughs) Good night. And also you have women being taught to, well, anything a man could do, I could do it myself, right? Anything he could do, I could do it better. I could please myself. I don't need a man. You have so many of these influencers online who promote sexual pleasure with robots. And by robots, I mean vibrators. I'm just being very technical by saying robots because it is a robot that's pleasuring yourself. (laughs) So you have this idea of, well, I'm good. I don't need a man. I don't have to deal with him cheating on me. I got my vibrator. It's like, you know what? I'll deal with the cheaters. (laughs) It's a joke. No, but I I do feel like, though, there is this lack of recognition and acceptance of the connection, the genuine connection, and just the good feeling, the euphoric feeling that one feels when in a loving relationship. You know, you feel connected, you feel loved, you feel seen, and that makes you want to connect your body with that person more and more. But when that isn't present, there's this independence that you develop more and more, and it leads you down this physically lonely time. So I just thought that was interesting. I think there is just a sadness about that. Like, I would rather, you know, do this than do that. I would rather have sex with myself than have sex with someone else. And I just think that... When people are doing that, they're missing out on life. Like, you're missing out on the connection that you could be making with someone. And that is unwell. That is unwell. I think that needs to be stopped. I think that is a a movement that is pushing us into this silo type of community. You know, all of these things, like, you know, work from home and... You could touch yourself. You don't need him to touch you. And it's like, okay, yeah, but we're, get, we're getting too far away from the natural order of things. We're getting too far away from how life is supposed to be and how it was created for us to appreciate it. Like, we're supposed to be in community. We're supposed to be connected with each other. We're not supposed to just be apart and I'm also saying this as someone who enjoys my alone time. Like, I do enjoy my time with myself. But I strongly, strongly enjoy being in community with others. I strongly enjoy quality time with people I adore. And so I think when that balance is imbalanced, there is... Uh, there's a mental condition that could develop from that, right? Like you now could develop this increase of anxiety that wasn't there had you 
you know, had you been in community with others, right? But now that anxiety, that paranoia, those depressive thoughts can all find a place, a refuge in your home, in your mind, and all of that could have been taken care of had you just been in community with people. So I just think ultimately we have to find spaces in which we connect with other people and really take time to be intentional with that. Moving forward, let's get into this last article here that um, intrigued me. There's been yet another Google employee found dead and they say it's an apparent suicide. But like, why? You know, like, why? I think the suicide is... um, is suspicious and I wonder if he knew too much or if you know he just was in a compromising position and his life was the last draw here so this man named Jacob Pratt excuse me Jacob Pratt a 33 year old Google employee who worked out of the searches of the search of the search giants New York City offices was found dead of an apparent suicide earlier this month. An NYPD spokesperson confirmed that Pratt's death on Monday, saying he appeared to have hanged himself in an apartment located in the trendy Chelsea neighborhood of Manhattan, not far from Google's corporate offices. The Post has reached out to the city medical examiner's office. Officers responded to a 911 call to a residence at the corner of West 26th Street and 6th Avenue in Manhattan just before 6 p.m. February 16th. Upon arrival, officers observed a 33-year-old male unconscious and unresponsive. Paramedics arrived and pronounced Pratt dead on the scene. Investigators said there were no signs of foul play. The New York City Medical Examiner will determine the cause of death, and the investigation remains ongoing. Uh, But, like, why? Like, there was no note, it seems like. And the reason why I'm questioning the legitimacy of his death is when you work for a search giant such as Google... I'm sure you come across intricate and disturbing uh, information. And according to his LinkedIn page, Pratt was a partnership lead at Google. While an obituary said he was an accounting manager at Google where he spent nearly four years. And it was so unexpected I, you know, I don't know him. I don't know him at all, but I just, I know that these big jobs that people fantasize about and that they promote and romanticize online, like, oh, I work for Facebook. I work for Google. I work for Instagram. I work for Twitch. And they big up these tech jobs, and they're so like, oh, I go into work, we have a fancy display of lunch today, and 
this is what I do at the job. And I just make these pretty portraits and I go to meetings and I look cute and I leave and I do this every day. And they romanticize it so much so that it seems alluring, right? It seems like a great opportunity. But I think there's a big piece of this information that is lacking, you know, that is missing from the from the news because something else is going on. You know, like he was the partnership lead, so I'm sure he had uh, just a plethora of responsibilities that he had to take charge of. And in doing so, he may have come across information that was unpleasant, to say the least. And maybe he was a whistleblower. Maybe he tried to get out and, I don't know, I could be making all this up. Who knows? And maybe he really did just, unfortunately, decided to take his own life. Um, His interest in advertising and technology led him to a dream job as an accounting manager at Google in Manhattan, Those who knew Jacob were often a part of spirited debates about all manner of things and the humor that was contagious. Uh, He touched the lives of everyone and yada, yada, yada. So God bless, you know, rest in peace. I I, I do want to know further investigation, but I've just been hearing too many apparent suicide suicide deaths of people who have worked in these romanticized jobs, such as Google, who have these amazing positions like, oh, I'm the CEO of Bed Bath & Beyond. You know, the guy from Bed Bath & Beyond jumped from his office window and is like, what? (laughs) So something is going on, something is going on that is leading to these quote-unquote apparent suicides. And I'm going to get to the bottom of it. Anyway, you all, thank you all so much for listening. I appreciate each and every listen. Make sure you are telling a friend to tell a friend and that you are subscribed. Leave a review and consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash godbuiltthis. And I will check in with you all next time. Peace. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of God Built This Podcast with your host, Maxine. If you liked it, leave a review, share, and subscribe. God bless.